Now perhaps you would turn with me in your Bibles to the passage in Luke's Gospel, which we took as our scripture reading earlier in the service, Luke 24, from verse 13 to verse 35. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now one of the commentators upon this passage of scripture that we read earlier in the service has described the walk to Emmaus by the two disciples as the loveliest story in the world. And like so many lovely things in the world and in our own lives, it has to do on the surface with very simple matters, the simpler and simplest things of life, a dusty road to a distant village outside the walls of Jerusalem, two people engrossed in conversation as they traveled there, a country cottage at the end of the journey, and an invitation to the stranger who had joined them to have a meal with them. And yet these simple and commonplace things of our lives were transformed on this occasion by the presence of another, the Christ, the living Christ. For Jesus himself, says Luke, drew near and went with them. Now I want to inquire this morning into the nature of this transformation that took place on the road to the little village of Emmaus, because it affected three things that would never exactly be the same again. Their distress of sorrow as the disciples traveled the lonely road, their doubt of scripture, and their despair, their despair of seeing the Savior alive again. Now the first of these things that I mentioned to you is this, the distress of their sorrow. Now you will have noticed straight away from the reading as we broke into the 24th chapter of Luke earlier on, that Luke gives us an account of a very sorrowful occasion. Two disciples, one of them whose name we know and the other who is incognito, who is unknown, left Jerusalem evidently late in the afternoon of the resurrection morning, the first Easter morning, to go to a village whose locality today is in doubt, the village of Emmaus. Very probably it lay to the northwest of Jerusalem, some seven or seven and a half miles distant. The unknown companion may have been the wife of Cleopas. Some think that that is her identity. Others feel that it was none other than Luke, the physician himself, the writer of this whole gospel and, of course, of this amazing chapter. It is so vivid that certain feel it must have been from an eyewitness account, and Luke may possibly have been the other disciple. We don't know, nor does it matter profoundly, because the message arising from this journey is that they traveled that dusty road to Emmaus with sorrow and sadness resting like a great heavy cloud upon them. 
they were reasoning over the tragic events that had happened in the previous days in Jerusalem. And as they went along, each was putting questions to the other, but neither of them could answer. Things could not possibly have been worse, they were saying to each other. Good Friday, which was to them at that point bad Friday, had turned their world upside down, had broken up the foundations of their lives. The Lord Jesus, upon whom they had put all their hopes for the deliverance of Israel, had been taken by the scribes and the Pharisees and the leaders of their religion and delivered cruelly into the hands of the Romans, the civil power, who had arranged for his execution with the full approval of the Jews. And even as they traveled along the dusty road, the events were so vividly recalled by them. The tragic parade out of Jerusalem to the place of the skull Golgotha, the raising of the crosses with Jesus the central figure amid two crucified malefactors, thieves, the darkness over the earth, the great cry that came out from the cross, it is finished, the taking down with sorrow of his broken body and the laying of it into a garden tomb. Now you see all these events spelt one word for these two disciples, disaster, dismay, the disillusion of all their hopes. And they walked that road like two men who had been in an earthquake, dazed, mesmerized, puzzled, scarcely realizing probably where they were. And I'm sure that road seemed longer and dustier and stonier on that particular afternoon than it had ever seen before, though they must have traveled it very often. And so they went on staggering under their bewilderment and grief, gloomy and dispirited. And this on the first Easter day, long ago. And then, said Luke, a stranger caught up with them. Now you know how it is when you are in distress, when some sorrow has touched your life, when you are gloomy and sad. If someone comes into your company, you have glance at the person. You don't take in the full visage. You don't look at that person closely. For you are anxious that your own grief should not be noticed. And it seems that this is part of the explanation why their eyes were holding, as our King James Version renders it, or as the modern version said, they were kept from recognizing him. And he joined them. And seeing the gloominess of their countenances, he asked the reason. And they were able to unfold to this stranger, this incognito who had joined them, the reason for their sadness. The hope in Jesus as the Redeemer was dashed, and his death on Good Friday had brought all their life into disorder. Now Jesus, from this point, begins to deal with their distress of sorrow. But I want you to pause with me for a moment and to ask yourself this. What would have happened on that walk to Emmaus 
if the events had simply ended there. Have you ever asked yourself that question? What would it have meant first to the two disciples who walked that lonely road? And the answer is very clear, isn't it? But all that they would have had left of their faith, and if you like of their Christian religion, was this. The tending of fires on the altar of memory. We remembered that he healed the sick, that he raised the dead, that he gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and speech to the dumb. We remember that he lived an exemplary life and spoke as no other one had ever spoken. We remember his example of love and his teaching unsurpassed. But it's all gone. And all that we can do now is to light the fires on the altar of memory. And that's exactly where you and I would stand if the events had simply ended there and Jesus indeed had not risen from the dead. I would look at his life today and his cross and say a supreme example of love, teaching without equal but the triumph of the powers of evil had the last words. I would come to the empty grave of my loved ones and I would sorrow as those who have no hope because Jesus had not come back from the dead. And I would be left to live trying to imitate his example but always failing because the mighty spirit of Christ is not released into the world to achieve the high purpose of Christian living to the glory of God. I would live as one whose religion, like the religion of these two Emmaus disciples, was a religion of tending the fires on the altar of memory. We had hoped, they said, that it was he who should have delivered Israel. But thank God, this account does not end there. For having begun to deal with their distress of sorrow as he asked them questions, he now dealt with the root of their distress, the doubt of Scripture, verses 25 to 27. Now do you notice how Luke in that most beautiful way tells us that the Lord did much more than simply listen to their story of woe. He opened to them the scriptures. In other words, he answered their problem of distress by setting alongside it the living word of God. And later you remember they were to look back and acknowledge that it was this that made their hearts burn within them as they journeyed to the village of Emmaus. What was his precise ministry as he dealt with their doubt of scripture? Very simply, let me say three things about it. It was first of all expository. He expounded to them. We could render one of these verses. He expounded to them the scriptures. He opened up to them the scriptures from his memory of all that the Old Testament taught. What a well-stored memory with scripture our Savior had. 
both in his life and in his new life, he was able immediately to recall the great prophecies that reflected upon his life and his death and his resurrection. He opened up the scriptures from Moses through all the prophets, the things concerning himself. What an occasion this was. What a sermon it was. I would give my right hand to have been there, as Jesus explained how in the volume of the book it is written of me. And secondly, it was explanatory. Not only did he expound, but he explained how prophecy was fulfilled in him again and again. His death spoken of in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. His resurrection predicted in Psalm 16, as we have seen together this morning in our responsive reading. Thou wilt not, thou wilt not leave my soul in Hades, in the place of the dead. And so on and so forth, right through from Genesis, if you like, to Malachi. He explained to them the necessity of the cross as the pathway to glory. And as he did so on their dull minds, began to open and unfold the understanding that his death was not an interlude. I'm sorry, his death was not the end, it was an interlude. And that the cross was not the epitaph on a martyr's life, it was the throne on which he ascended to the glory of his Father. O oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered and so to have entered into his glory? Expository, explanatory, emancipatory, if I can use that word. Because you see, as the Lord was opening to them the scriptures from his memory, suddenly their spirits were lifted out of depression out of gloom and sadness, and they were liberated with a newness of life. They began to understand that the scriptures they were familiar with and had read so often had never really been understood by them. They'd read them after a fashion, but the real meaning had escaped them. And now they saw that the Old Testament had a new light to cast upon the ministry of their Messiah that from beginning to end it testified to him. What a wonderful transformation. As Christ took this book and set, as it were, his imprimatur upon it, a new understanding began to dawn upon the minds of these gloomy and dispirited men. Now is it not true that one of the great needs of ours on this resurrection day is that in our daily reading of scripture, we should pray the Lord Jesus would draw near. And as he did for his own on the Emmaus road, so he would do for us. Our hearts to burn within us, to open the scripture to us, because we constantly need a word of his upon which to rest our faith for salvation. Now the third thing that he dealt with was their despair of seeing their Savior again. This was the third transformation in these commonplace events on the village, on the way to the village of Emmaus. They had failed to recognize him, as Luke says, 
they were kept from knowing who he was. Why should they have recognized him? Such a resurrection in a glorified body had never taken place before. It had never before happened since the world was made. And moreover, they had not been conditioned to expect that he would return again from the dead. Their conversation showed this so clearly as they went over the events of Good Friday as though it was terminus, an end. And they treated the women's story as idle tales about the empty tomb. And so they journeyed on until they reached their destination, said Luke, and they persuaded him to stay out of courtesy, for it was dangerous, both the danger from bandits, robbers, and wild beasts to continue to travel on these lonely roads at night time. And he agreed, and seated at their table as a host, he broke the bread, and they recognized who he was. Jesus himself, back from the dead again. Their Lord was there. No mere apparition, no mere influence, appearing to saddened and disordered, disordered minds. He was there to see them and be seen by them in a body that was new and wonderful, but recognizable instantly to them. And then just as suddenly as their eyes were opened, he disappeared supernaturally from their, from their sight, for the purpose of his appearing had been fulfilled. Now do I need to remind you of this transformation that it made in the life of these two disciples? They suddenly realized the thrill of being alive in the same world with the risen Christ. And instead of looking at the cross of Calvary as though it was the terminus, the epitaph upon a martyr's life, they saw behind the cross of Calvary the resurrection light shining through it. And so concludes the loveliest story, as someone has said, in the world, to do with the simplest things, a dusty road to a little village, two people engrossed in conversation, a country cottage at the end of the journey, and an invitation to a stranger to share in a meal, transformed by the living presence of a resurrected Christ. Jesus himself drew near and went with them, and turned their distress of sorrow into something else, and their doubt of scripture into something else, and their despair of ever seeing him alive again into something else. My dear friend this morning, the message of these events is so clear. Jesus is alive. No figment of man's imagination. He lives. He reigns at his Father's right hand in glory. And when he comes to his people, it is not simply in his gifts that he comes, in his power to deliver them, in what he can do for them, that he comes in his own blessed person, Jesus himself, drew near and went with him. Do you realize what this means? 
to Moses, the Lord Jehovah said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And to Joshua, the same Lord Jehovah said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. But to you and I, Jesus says, lo, I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as the hymn writer said, what if thy form we cannot see? We know and feel that thou art here. And so I want to say to you this morning, it is a thrill to be a Christian. The thrill of being alive in the same world in which the risen Christ is living and moving and bringing the nations into his own dominion and kingdom. And I say to myself, when the road is most taxing and the case is most hopeless and there are sudden and unexpected turnings in the way, he gives me strength. He is life's great and indispensable companion. And immediately, my path is less lonely and my thoughts are less sad. Do you believe it? Rest upon it, dear Christian, with all your strength. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we thank thee for the glorious evangel that concerns not only a Saviour's life, nor a Saviour's death mighty as that is, but a Saviour's resurrection to newness of life, where death has no more dominion over him. And so we thank thee that he has brought life and immortality to light by his resurrection from among the dead. And may there settle upon our spirits this morning in a new and wonderful way the thought and the thrill of being alive in this world where Jesus lives and Jesus reigns and one day Jesus is coming back in all his power and dominion and glory. So may our spirits be lifted up to magnify and praise the Lord as we greet one another with those great gospel words. Lo, Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.